Welcome to Theories of Evolution, a podcast about exploring the lessons we learn on life's journeys from simply being to fully becoming. I'm your host, Shannon Stewart, and I'm excited to have you with me as we, well, talk through some stuff. Hopefully we'll have a few laughs along the way because, hey, we all know life can simultaneously be messy and funny. Let's do this. Welcome to another episode of Theories of Evolution. I'm Shannon, your host, and I am so excited. I have my very first guest with me today. Um, Joining me is my friend, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I don't know why we're talking like this. I know, it's kind of funny. But here we go. Let the games begin. So Rachel and I work together. Um, we've gotten to know each other, uh, in the past year that a year and a bit that I've been at Ontario Shores. How long have you been there now? Year and a half. Year and a half. Okay. So not much longer than me. No. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, and well, there are many, many cool things about Rachel. First, she has almost identical <laughs> hair color to me right now. So we are hair twinsies. Um, she has some really super funky tats, but she's also just a generally super cool, super fun, down to earth human being. Uh, and we bonded kind of right from the get go as we were chatting. So, Rachel, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what you do at Ontario Shores? And that'll help us kind of get into where we're going today. Yeah. So at Ontario Shores, I am an environmental service worker and I do infection control for the building. Amazing. And so much of what you do is so important to keeping, especially, well, not not just in COVID times, but particularly in COVID times, to making sure that everyone in the building uh, is safe. I mean, I don't think it gets any more fundamental uh, than that to make sure that everything that you're doing really has an impact on every person who comes in the building. So on behalf of all of us who work in the building, thank you mm-hmm. for everything that you do, obviously. Um, but what we're here most to talk about today is your own kind of experience with mental health. Um, I mean, obviously you work in a, in a center for mental health, but you have your own really um, interesting, heartbreaking, all the different descriptors. I have a whole lot. <laughs> I have a whole lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So why don't you, um, why don't we start off by whatever way you're comfortable, just kind of talking about um, your own diagnosis and where that's kind of brought you in life and what that's been like for you. Well, it, it's hard to say where to start because it's, it's, there's so much to where it began and it's so all over the place and a lot of, uh, a lot of it I don't like remembering. Understood. Um, yeah, the thing about mental illness, though, it's funny, though, because people see me every day and they're just like, oh, you seem so normal. I'm like, yeah, we can like it, that's the whole stigma of the whole thing. Like you can look like you're normal, but it's like you could be fighting like a million demons inside. And I mean, so when I was younger, I mean, I, I didn't know what was going on. And I think that's a lot of what younger people and teenagers, like my daughter's got severe anxiety and depression, and she doesn't really understand what's going on either. Um, but I spiraled. Like I, after high school, everything just kept going down and down and down from there. I dealt with a lot of abuse and uh, trauma growing up. And I didn't think anything of it. I was a kid. I was a teenager. You it just was what you, you knew. That's what that's what you know. It's like hey. Yeah. And then you know, there's drinking as a teenager, and that becomes a thing. And then uh, I was talking to somebody about it yesterday. How like drinking is like, I miss it, but I don't. And I'll, the reason why I miss it is because it gets rid of that anxiety. I've noticed lately that I've my anxiety's been really up there, mm. and it's such a easy way to like stop. Um, 
so, you know, when I was in my 20s, I did a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs and a lot of drinking. There's a mm-hmm. lot of shame in, like, the beginning phases of mental illness because you don't know what's going on. Sure. So you feed it in any way you possibly can, whether it's sex, drugs, you know, alcohol. And I did that. Yeah. And a lot of bad things came out of that that I won't really get into. But, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I met my husband who has been like a godsend through all of it because it's not an easy road for anybody. And a lot of people left me along the way. Mm. A lot of people left me along the way. And you know what? I used to blame them for it, but it's, it's not an easy road. So I, you know, I, you get past that. But you know, when my youngest was six months old, I almost killed myself due to like medications and stuff like that because yeah, um, the, the, when you're going through the beginning phases of trying to get better, you tend to get worse too because you're going through medication changes and doctors. I don't, it depends on like my family doctor was the one prescribing my medication. And this was, so, so when did you first start trying medication to see if that was going to be helpful? When I, when, so after I met my husband, I was kind of a pill popper. Hmm. It's such a, embarrassing thing to say but it's like in my in my eyes I know you're shaking your head no nobody else can see that you're shaking your head no for it like I said there's a lot of shame and a lot of the things that we do to cope and for one of those things for me was when I was dealing with the split of my son's father and not having custody of him and a whole bunch of other trauma I took to pills and so when my husband met me I was constantly popping pills and it was just numbing me and it was so we're just like okay well this isn't working this is not the best way to do things and then so cold turkeying off of that was not fantastic it did Mm. a number of things on the body um and then so we started going to see the doctor which is the appropriate thing to do right um you know, and in, in spurts along the way, I was in hospital visits trying to commit suicide for whatever reason at the time. And so I went through a lot of different medications. But the last straw was, you know, you go to your family doctor and you say, hey, look, like I've been to the hospital a million times and, you know, I can't keep going back. So, like, we've got to figure something out. Something isn't right. Mm-hmm. And so he prescribed, which was the last one I ended up taking, was Paxil. And so I took it and I took it for, I think, two weeks before it really did me in. Mm. And, you know, I, my youngest was home with me. And like I said, he was only six months old and ended up cutting all myself up. I took a knife to myself and then in, I guess, a delirium, I took the same knife and I started chiseling the paint off the bathroom. And then I guess I passed out at some point and my husband came home. Luckily, my youngest was still safe. So I'm grateful for that. Mm. But, you know, once you sober up and you realize what the frick just happened. You're like, I can't, you either, that's either the point that's either going to break you or make you. And I was just like, I had to make the choice for myself to find a better way to handle it because that wasn't it. And so this whole time you're, you're trying to get help. You're trying to access a system that we all know is, it's a hard one. Fragmented and challenging and, kind of tougher to navigate. If you have cancer, let's say there's a very direct path that you take and a very wise system that's set up to help you navigate. But um, as much as we've come a long way with mental health, there's still so much that needs to be done to help people. There's so much to it. And there's not a lot of education on it. I find like even with my family doctor, he like, so when the thing that kicked me too was when I went back to him after that incident had happened, Mm -hmm. cuts all over myself, you see the scars. Why would you do that? He said, Oh my God. 
You tell me. I know. Jack like, hole. Then he had to prescribe me another medication. And then I was like, no, oh. that is not how this works. And that is, in my opinion, mine only, maybe, but like, that's how I can see tons of people committing suicide because you have a, someone that's supposed to be helping you saying, well, why would you do that? Well, Kate, well, it was medication. It wasn't me. I right. wasn't coherent or sane or whatever. So I had to say, like, look, like, this isn't working for me. So I had to figure it out myself. Mm. And, like, so I ended up getting a social worker. Mm-hmm. And because I was talking about it with a coworker yesterday. And I said, like, I think it was the social worker that was the one that helped me. And they, I got an occupational therapist that came to the house that made sure I wasn't going to do anything stupid. And the problem with that, though, too, is, you know, that person came to the house and they're like, are you okay? Like, do you feel like you're going to kill yourself? And you can just easily be like, yeah, no, I'm fine. Yeah. And then they leave. And then. And then that's that. Yeah. So, you know, and then I started gaining a lot of weight because then you're eating a lot. You're finding other ways to, Mm -hmm. like, deal with pain. So you're, which is still my thing because I don't drink now. I don't Mm -hmm. smoke. I don't do anything. So now it's, like, coffee and eating. So now I, I know. So (laughs) now I go through, like, the phases of, like, I'm going to gain a lot of weight. I'm going to lose a lot of weight. I'm going to gain a lot of weight. And that's just as toxic. Right. And so, you know, but then I went to fitness Mm-hmm. which as you did too. And it's, it, when I can actually do it and my, my body and my brain lets me do it, it's the best thing for me. Yeah. I find it's the best for my mental state, going out for walks, going out for running, eating healthy. It really helps clear things. It's not perfect. Right. Much better. It's part of a whole therapeutic suite. It's part of a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. And so after, okay, so you had a, a social worker and an occupational therapist who came in and, and gave you some care that way, but obviously your GP wasn't giving you what you needed. So no. how did you, like, what was the route that you went down to finally get a diagnosis? I, the social worker actually sent me to a therapist okay. to get a proper diagnosis on okay. what was going on because I, clearly something was going on. Right. So I went to this therapist and we went through all the stuff and he gave me the diagnosis right then and there. And I was just like, so we went through it and I was just like, holy crap, like that actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. All those things you're saying like, wow. Yeah. Like it's weird when you actually hear it and see it and they can explain to you why you have it. So mine's basically trauma based. Mm-hmm. Um, and the diagnosis is just, I don't think we've said it yet. Borderline personality disorder. Okay. Um, it was with generalized anxiety and de- severe depression. The depression's not, it's probably, it's there, but it's not as bad as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with the anxiety. Like when I first got diagnosed, I was at my worst, obviously to the point which I try to explain to people. Cause again, people see me right now and they're just like, Oh, you come to work, you do your thing, you smile, yeah. you make people laugh. I'm like, yeah, I never used to be able to like leave the house or leave my bed or take mm-hmm. a bus. Like the first time I went to take the go station from here in Whitby to Union Station, one plane stretch to my doctor's office, which was up Bay Street, not that far. I like got to Union Station and had such a panic attack that I had to call someone to get me because I couldn't go anywhere. Wow. Yeah. But it's hard to explain to people that because they hadn't seen it. Right. So because you're fine. Right. But like I wasn't always. Yeah. And like even still, like I'm pretty good. But me and you have had discussions where mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll come to work and I'll smile and I'll be fine but I'm still eating at myself in my head. Mm. So tell us, um, for those people who aren't familiar with what borderline personality is about, tell us what kind of the, the symptoms or the traits or some of the, the things that you deal with involve. 
Um, so when I first started out, a lot of the biggest things are like the self-harm and stuff like that. So there was a lot of cutting. There was a lot of pill popping. Anything that you could do that would hurt yourself to make yourself feel better. We also have a huge fear of pretty much everything. A fear of abandonment is a big one. Mm-hmm. But it's it's such a weird illness where like you have a fear of abandonment so you try to get as much relationships as you can with people, but then you also push them away because you're also afraid of... I'll leave you first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you can leave like it's, me. Oh, it's a, such a messed up Oof. thing. Yeah, and we... And it's like... They say that it's like your skin's always burning because you feel everything. Mm-hmm. And you do. You feel it at like a, a thousand percent all the time. So when I'm happy, you see me, I look like I'm really happy because that's me at a thousand percent. Right. But there's no like middle ground. Mm-hmm. Or if you see me sad, I'm like don't talk to me. Yeah. Right. Or if I'm angry, my husband will tell you <laughs> like Good old rage. Spirals. Yeah. There's yeah. no, there's no, like everybody else has like, like a middle ground. There's right. no middle ground. And I wish there was because it makes it so much harder. It's sure. like when I'm at work, you know, I got to try to like level myself out and I do pretty good for the most part. I've learned to be very, very self-aware, which has helped me. And so if I know that I'm not doing amazing, I will make sure my management knows. It. They're fantastic with that. Like, I was going to ask, we, how, is, how are your coworkers in we've all Like, when they hired me, I was straight up. Like, Good. when they hired me, I did really bad at the interview. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, blank, I get brain fogs and I blank out. And I know everybody has that happen to them, but it happens to me a lot to the point I get very frustrated and I start mm-hmm. crying. It's uncontrollable. So, and that happened at my interview. <laughs> And I was so embarrassed and I couldn't stop crying and I couldn't focus on anything they were saying. And the only thing that came out, they're just like, well, you know, why do you want this job? I said, because look at where we are. And like I said, so I told them my diagnosis. I said, look, like this means a lot to me. I grew up with a brother who was schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. And I said, my daughter's got anxiety and depression. I've got my own stuff. And I said, like, I don't really want to clean. That's not really like, not anybody really wants to do that. But I'm like, if it's here and this is where I have to start, then I'm going to do it. And I would be grateful for it. And I guess that won them over because I'm still here. Well, and you have to hope. You have to hope that in, you know, any universe, an organization that's committed itself to mental health, you know, healing and awareness and recovery and all of that needs to walk the walk and ensure that they're offering opportunities to people who know exactly what it's like to be someone an inpatient or an outpatient. But on that flip side, it sucks for regular jobs and regular people who like, or people like me, because I've gone through so many jobs where I can't get a job. Mm. Or if I get a job, I used to work at like Jacob and it was a clothing store and I was an assistant manager and they wanted to make me manager, but you'd have to go through the hoops. And I kept blanking out. Mm. And I kept telling them like, I can't control this. This like, I know the answer. I know how to do the job. Right. But in this situation, it's too much. It's something I, but I can't yeah. do this part of it. Yeah. So then you lose your job. Wow. Or you get stuck or yeah. there's no up. Because at that point, I remember that too, because I remember her saying, well, okay, well, if you can't prove to us that you can do it, then we can't give it to you. That just shut me down. And I, I think I ended up quitting after that because I was like, I felt like an idiot. Yeah. I felt like, okay, well. You're abandoning me. Yeah. You're not well, even I'm willing to Not even going to try. Yeah. Yeah. And there was okay. a lot of that. There was a lot of places like that where it's like, if you can't live up to their ex, like, I can work my butt off, mm-hmm. but I can't always do like, you can't, if you ask me questions, like, yeah, words aren't always going to come out. Yeah. And I'm my, not going to, my brain fogs up. It like it happens. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'm sure there are other people that can relate to that. Yeah. That don't have a BPD or anything kind of along yeah. those lines. I'm sure there are other people that can relate, but um, just knowing that's such an inherent part of your 
genetic wiring of your yeah. brain, right? At this point, too, you're like, this is the this is the way for me to work my way through things. Yeah, and it must be so frustrating to not be able to kind of be able to check those boxes when you know you can fill them just fine. I know I can fill them just fine. Right? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, but not being able to check it in the moment. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about your family, if you're comfortable. Um, I know you're married. You have a few kids. How how has your family kind of have they helped in some of the trajectory <laughs> of of what every day looks like? Um, my family is very. I have a very blended family because mm-hmm. um, my my son is mine. My oldest, eighteen, he's mine, and then my daughter is his, and then our youngest is both of ours. Nice. And so there's a lot of stuff that we have to juggle and deal with because, you know, you know, my son's got his stuff on his side that we have to deal with. And my daughter has her stuff on her side that she has to deal with. Um, and it's been it's been good for the most part because we're a very open group of people. Mm-hmm. One thing I learned from growing up um, in a very we didn't talk about things. I mean, that's the thing, though. I feel like a lot of us had families that just didn't it wasn't a thing yet hmm. where people opened up and talked about things and like I don't know my mom's family history or my dad's family history whatsoever nobody talks about that stuff hmm. um, so it was very closed and there was no real conversations but now it's just like we talk about everything good like I we never really talked to our kids like they're little kids we've always talked to them like they're ad- like not adults adults but like been very open and honest if someone's not feeling good or someone's depressed or someone's sad or something's going on like stuff with my daughter is like it can be a little tedious Mm -hmm. like it's not easy like her depression is hard on all of us especially since I go through it too so it's like a combination of both of us but I think with my illness I hope that I help her Mm -hmm. and then I hope that I can help the other two because we have a very open dialect but when I do have episodes, I talk about them. Yeah. Because I'm not fantastic a lot of the time. Sometimes I'll break down and I'll cry or I'll yell. I'll, but, and then I always tell them to give me a break. Keep taking me some time. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come back and then we'll talk about it. Right. I don't just leave it. Sure. And how old are they now? 18, 16, and 11. Wow. Yeah. And I remember, if, if memory serves, you have a nice little hybrid of, of in school, not in school, all of that. So all of these. They're of, all in school. They they're are all, all in They're school? all okay. in homeschool. Right. Yeah. I didn't, I don't know, because I'm so paranoid, right? Like, <laughs> I'm like, you guys are going to stay home, okay? And they're like, my daughter didn't want to. She wanted to go to school. And I'm like, but no. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really, like, I would kind of give them the option, but not really. So, I mean, talk about you know, an, an avalanche of things that kind of happening all at once, right? Between yeah. that. And then, so how has the entire kind of COVID experience been for you? I mean, everyone, one of the things that I've said is that one of the, the, the interesting things that I think and hope in a twisted way that will come out of COVID is that people who never really understood what it was like to feel anxiety or to feel even mild depression will have a new understanding simply having lived through COVID. And this is for people who haven't had, you know, your traditional kind of mental health challenges in the past. So my hope is that people will be a bit more sympathetic, almost empathetic now, having lived through quarantine and everything that's kind of come with it. But one of the things that we've heard is, um, so, so there was a survey that was done, this is 10% of Canadians have had a, um, a decrease in their mental health. Yeah. I mean, a, a serious decrease and 50% have had a decrease. So, sorry, I flipped those around as I was starting, starting to talk, but one in two Canadians has seen a decrease in their mental health. 
And if you dig down and do the numbers of people who had a pre-existing mental health condition before, the numbers are off the chart. Yeah. So not only are you living with a, a diagnosed mental health challenge, then COVID comes along. And so I would assume, and like, jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but some of those aspects of, of what you deal with on a daily basis are ramped up to 3,000 instead of 1,000, let's yeah. say, to yeah. use your numbers from before. And then let's talk about putting you in your job in a situation <laughs> where you yeah. are like extra because you are responsible for taking care of what at the time was our, um, what do we call it? Our preventative geriatric unit. Um, is that what it was? No, it was the admitting unit. Yeah. Oh, we, sorry, we didn't, yeah, we didn't the have the geriatric unit. Yeah. That's right. You're in the admitting unit. So any new patients who came in from the outside, and this isn't an organization that managed to go without one case yep. of patient a transmission, and there were four cases and staff in March. So the organization did an exquisite job at keeping all of the patients and staff safe. Um, so talk to me a little bit about what the past couple months have been like for you. This whole year has been <laughs> so bizarre. Like... Just even that isolation unit itself, like it just amazes me what my bosses actually have to go through. And I don't think people see it a lot of time or what we do in general, but like the stuff that gets thrown at those guys, the protocol changes and all that stuff. And the fact that they managed to make sure that we didn't get any cases in the building, I'm knocking on wood yeah. or <laughs> Find all the wood I'm to making knock sh- on. I know, because I'm like, yeah. now we're going to like spike number two and we'll yeah. see. But like... You know, what we do is very tedious. Like having to like, like when I was on the isolation unit, we're cleaning the bathroom after every single use, making sure the patient bedrooms are done every single day, basically making sure that they stay in the room so they don't come in contact with the other patient that's in the room beside them. And they're going through crisis. Like it was just, it was like, it's some days were so daunting because they'd be like, oh, well, this sucks. Like it, you know, we can't leave our rooms and like they already are miserable. So it's like. What do you do? You try to talk to them the best you can. It was me and I think there were one, two, three or four of us that worked on that unit, two in the day and then like one in the evening. And we did our best to make sure that those patients weren't felt like they were alone. Amazing. And I mean, the clinical staff, same thing. Like we all just really worked together on it. But it was it was hard. And some of those patients came in because of stuff that was happening from COVID. Mm. And then... It's, it was, I don't know, it's just so bizarre. And then again, the whole life-saving part of it was like, okay, I'm cleaning. I never thought I'd be doing something. And it never clicked in my head that I was sa- we were saving people's lives. I'm not going to say just me because it was like the entire group of team of us. Mm-hmm. But like, if we don't do our jobs, nobody in the building is safe. Right. And that is bizarre. Like no having pressure. that, having that one nurse walk in the <laughs> hall yesterday and be just like, oh God, you guys are saving people's lives. Keep it up. I'm like, oh my God. Like... <laughs> And like you said, like with my own illness, I am paranoid. Like, and people don't understand. On a good my, day. I know on a good day, people don't understand that because yeah. I, I, I hide, hide it. it. I hide it really well. Right. Or sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> right. But my paranoia is some days really debilitating. Like all of COVID, I try not to hear numbers. I try not to mm-hmm. hear things. I cannot watch the news. If I hear anything, I don't sleep. My stomach gets upset. Like mm-hmm. I'm like sweats, everything I'm done. So, and so you're going to work every day. You're in full PPE. And I'm in full PPE. And yeah, like, I'm just pretending like, no, we're just, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> numbers, what numbers? I don't know what you're talking cosplay. about. cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I make yeah. the joke about being in a bubble, but I'm like, that's, I, it keeps me, I, even though it doesn't actually keep me safe, it just feels like I'm safe in my little bubble. And then mm-hmm. they took me out of the COVID unit because right. that wasn't a thing anymore. Now sure. I'm back out with people. And that first week I was like 
panicking because I'm like, oh my God, I got to be around people again. Right. I got to touch people again. What? Yeah. <laughs> There's people Just around? a mask and gloves. Wait. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. So, so go from going to all that PPE, just the gloves and the regular mask and it's a little daunting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, going out shopping, anything. I'm like the most paranoid person in the world so, or it feels like it. So COVID's been extra rough. Extra. Like my anxiety. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. drinking would be fantastic if I did that still, but I don't. <laughs> like it's like... So yeah. what do you do? Now I'm eating again. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel like I couldn't, I couldn't drink for six months after my surgery, right? So from March 3rd until September 3rd, no alcohol. And I think in a twisted way, it's probably a good thing because otherwise it's, you could see how it could be a very easily slippery, slippery yeah. slope. Slippery slope for sure. Right? But, and so, I mean, I go back and forth on how I feel about the terminology self-care. I think a lot of people, you know, when they talk about self-care, they show photos of bubble baths and candles. And maybe that is self-care <laughs> for people, right? But I think it really needs, you know, self-care, if you really want to talk about it deeply, is saying no to things and, you know, looking out for yourself. It is. And, and that's one of the hardest things to do is yeah. it's really advocating for yourself in whatever way that is mm. and saying no to things. And people don't understand how hard it is to say no to things, especially when, your everything you think of is heightened like a million times over. So mm-hmm. like someone I, and everybody I know drinks. Like, I don't think I know anybody that does. I think I maybe know one other person that doesn't drink. Everybody drinks. Hey, he's gonna My husband drink. doesn't drink either. So yeah, but yeah. the look that, and, but so then I, I don't like judgment. Like that's sure. one of the things that gets to me too, is I constantly feel like I'm judged, even though I'm probably not. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I say I don't drink and they're like, why, oh. why don't you drink? I'm like, because I can't. Well, why not? And then you have to get into it. I'm like, why do I have to justify why I don't drink? Yeah. And then you feel like crap afterwards, and then you really want to drink. <laughs> it's like, um, wait a minute. That, <laughs> this went sideways very quickly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. I, so what, what helps you get through some of the harder times? What, is, what does self-care look like for Rachel? I also had this conversation this week, too. I, I, I give a lot. Mm-hmm. I find that that's actually a good therapy for me. And people don't understand that, like, well, it's money. Like, how do you do that? Like, you donate too much money or you do too much of this or you give this and you do this and you don't worry about it. Worry about yourself. I'm like, that actually is me worrying about myself. Yeah. Doing things as big or small for other people and making them smile is doing something for me. Mm -hmm. Because in growing up with this illness and doing all the toxic things, Mm -hmm. to be able to flip it and do something positive... I think that's a way, that's way better. Curative. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But it's weird for people to understand that because they're just like, well, but why? Like, mm-hmm. there's no ulterior motive. And it's weird to try to explain that to people. I'm just like, it makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Like, if I were to, and this is, I don't know, I thought about this the other day when I was having this conversation. And I'm just like, why is this a bad thing? Right. Why is this, this is the norm now that giving somebody anything, you give them a donut or whatever. Why is it, why is there an interior motive? Like, I don't want anything. Yeah. If you're smiling, then good. Yeah. That's the point. Hey, as someone who works in an organization, that's what I'm saying. I know. And that's why I, and that's why I appreciate appreciate everything that you do. I know. (laughs) Yeah. And the day you came in with those smile cookies, I know I mentioned smile cookies once before earlier, but that was, smile cookies are amazing. You know, for the sake of a dollar, let me tell you, not only did you help hospices in Durham, but that's what I'm saying. Like that was, you know, I needed that cookie. So (laughs) it was like the best cookie. I was so mad at myself because I gave everybody else cookies and I didn't save one. I'm like, damn it. No way. so good. But then, you know what? A coworker gave me one the next day I was like oh see there you go but that's what I'm saying it doesn't matter how big or small like just you know yeah 
And that's, that's helpful. It is actually, it's been what's been keeping me going like, and talking Mm. as much as I have issues with it a lot of times in the brain fogs and all that crap, like talking about what I go through. Usually the first time I actually told my story to someone and they're just like, Oh, you should write a book. Mm. And they're just like, but like, I can relate to what you're saying. Like it really, like I, you know, you can change lives with that. And then the first time I heard that, I was like, well, maybe I can change lives with that. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, how do you change lives with that? Because then I'm also very paranoid and worried and like the negative thoughts take over and I don't know how to start that stuff. So it's sure. like, yeah. Yeah. And they're worried about being judged and yeah, I know. I'm like, well, if you feel shame about things from your past and like putting all of that out there, just, I'm hoping cause I saw a post on Instagram because I'm now I'm following a bunch of BPD people, which Amazing. is, it's amazing and sad at the same time. Right. Yeah. It's amazing and sad at the same time because you see these people that are, you know, pouring their heart out on Instagram. Usually it's not positive, though, because mm-hmm. these people aren't where I'm at. So you're seeing the struggles. Right. And one of the posts I saw was actually about shame. And I'm just like, you know what? Nobody ever talks about that because that is huge. Mm. There's so much shame in a lot of the stuff that have caused us or that we have done due to our illness. Yeah. So... There's- this yeah, be that'll the be a thing time. for me one day when I do a po- I don't know. Yeah. I'll maybe do my own podcast about that. I, I don't know. know. Get in there. Yeah, Brene Brown does a lot about shame um, and has done a lot of research in the space and what it kind of looks like and feels like. And uh, it's really interesting when you when you listen to kind of what she says and how she explores that landscape and how universal that is, but how I can imagine that in your, your specific situation that must be ramped up to such a degree that there's so many ways to have to try to think through it. I know there is. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. There well, there's so many different avenues of the stuff that I've gone through. So it's like, which pick, which one today, (laughs) which one are we dealing with today? I don't know. None, all, I don't know. You name it. It's yeah, it's there. So what would you say, what would your advice be if you're talking about giving maybe and and talking about this more? And, but before I get to the question, I will say one of the things, one of the, the reasons, because as you mentioned, it's very difficult for those of us who see you, Frequently, but infrequently, right? As as opposed to on a daily basis. Um, Is that I would not have known had you not been open about your experiences. And the reason I know is because of your Instagram. And because you talk about, through Instagram, your real life, which is amazing because Instagram is so filtered in general by people. I also post the very bad days, which a lot of people don't do. Yeah. And I think that's such a an eye-opening way for those of us who are around you to kind of get a better understanding of what those days look like if we don't see you on those days or kind of what that looks like or what, how that feels to you. And you're very eloquent in how you describe what that's like. And so my hope is that for you, at least you find that somewhat therapeutic and I'm sure there are other people who will benefit from your sharing. But if we're talking right now, if, if you were to be able to give some advice to someone who thinks who's who may be listening to this and is like, you know what, I, that I kind of get that. I, I feel what she's talking about. Um, and now is starting to wonder if this might be something that they may be dealing with as well. What would your advice be to someone who recognizes themselves in what you're talking about today? That's a hard one. Mm-hmm. It is, like I said, because the system is so, and depends, like a lot of these people that I'm finding are all over the world. And so then trying to find them resources mm. for them, because it's like, I, there's one guy in New Zealand and like, how do I, I don't know how to help him. Cause he's in New Zealand. Sure. But you can sort of give them, you know, routes to go. Like I said, the social worker was the best one for me to get me help because they're, they can go do those steps that I can't do myself. Right. Like, 
you know, hospital visits are great, but you need that social worker Mm -hmm. to get you to the therapist, to get you to whatever occupational therapist or whatever else it is that you need. They know pretty much. So that would be my suggestion is find a social worker that'll help you through it because they'll get you through all those other little avenues that you need to go to. Be your navigator. They can be your navigator because you know what? We don't always have that sense to be able to do that ourselves. It's too much. Right. And did you, how did you get connected to the social worker in the first place? Like how did that even happen? I went through Ontario Works for okay. here, for us, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's good to know. And what about, um, do you have any advice for, you know, the family and loved ones of, of people? I think that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. I think that families need to be a little bit, need, you know, need to be a bit more educated on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, because they need the, the love and support themselves because having someone with an illness is hard. And but they need just as much support, so they need this understanding for said family member, but also for themselves. So they sure. also have to take self care, but they also need to be educated on it. It'll make it easier for them to understand a little bit more. Like my husband, when it's when we first started dealing with it, he he doesn't he still doesn't completely understand it. Sure. And that's fine. And that's the thing too is one thing I don't think people understand is you don't need to understand right. completely. Yeah. You just need to learn to have patience and understanding and what that person needs. Right. So for the longest time, and this is what I can see happening to other people in relationships, is fighting, fighting, and more fighting because they're not listening to each other or educated with what's going on. Mm-hmm. So he would take some time. He would actually do the research on the illness and read up on it and, okay, well, this makes sense. This is why she's doing it. It has nothing to do with me. I need to give her some space. And then he'll come, and then he'll, once I'm finally calm he'll mm-hmm. have a conversation with me gotcha because it's so it can be so tough if you are the caregiver or the partner or this however you want to categorize that person in your orbit right very close in your orbit and the last thing you want to do is you don't want to say the wrong thing you don't want to add to what the person's dealing with um, but sometimes not saying anything isn't helpful it's always, right? yeah it's so not it's, I know everyone it's like kind of 12 circles of hell trying to figure out how to navigate it is it's hard on every, it really is hard on everybody and yeah. people don't see that though either they think it's just you know that specific person dealing with the illness and not everybody else but right. it is and that's how relationships get broken and that's how sure. things get worse because you know and the problem with illness too and you know like I said a lot of people abandoned me along the way because they thought I was being a jerk or mm-hmm. whatever and I'm like no that's it had nothing to do with that like if I'm pushing someone away I'm not doing it on purpose it's just my head's telling me to do it at that moment or if I'm doing something negative behavior I'm like that's what my I'm doing at the moment yeah. but it's not like it wasn't wasn't me right and are you able to I'm just curious are you able to recognize in the moment have you come to a place now where you can recognize in the moment that the emotion is turned up to a thousand and to try to pull yourself back or do you have to get through it? Like I'm, I'm, Oh, it's like 50, 50, it's 50, 50 at this point. Like I've had some episodes at work, so there is days where it's definitely not, it's definitely uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. Um, and if it starts, I can sometimes see it coming and, you know, give a bit of a, but sometimes it's just too late. (laughs) Like, like, I don't know how to say it, but sometimes it's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah, Like, like, you know, this week I've had a couple episodes where just, Mm -hmm. I went from like a chill mode and then I overthink, overthink, overthink. And I knew it was coming and I'm like, no, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And then overthink, overthink, negative, negative, negative. And then I just went down Mm -hmm. and then it did. I was down for the entire day. Mm -hmm. Like there was no coming back. Mm -hmm. And I was aware that it was going to happen. 
And I, but I did talk about it. I do talk about it if I'm in, I, that's what the great thing about text too. If you don't really want to talk to somebody you, you know that you're going to be in a mood, text it. Yeah. Just be like, yep, no, it's a day. Yeah. And would you, um, back to the caregiver side again, if you were um, in your husband's position, for mm-hmm. example, like if you're kind of flipping the shoes around and what are some of the, the signs you think that a, a spouse could be looking for um, if they're concerned that the individual in their lives may be struggling with BPD? Um, aggression is a big one. Okay. I get aggressive and I've noticed a few people with BPD get aggressive over nothing. Okay. And by aggressive, like describe what aggressive means to you in your circumstances. Really, really, really snippy over nothing. Like okay. it'll just get right in your face and start fights for nothing and just okay. get very mean. Like that's mm. the best way I can put it. Like you're just mean for like no real reason whatsoever. And it's not the person, the person has not done anything. It's generally the mood that you're in and mm. you're just like, you can't control it. it that's that. Or there's the flip side where the person just gets really, really, really quiet. Like there's moments where I, or not moments, there's quite a few. There's more times with the depressive side of things than the aggressive side for me now. Okay. Where I just get very quiet and I just go hide. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. Or if I start binge eating a lot, like I, when I get the eating phases or the not eating phases. If you notice I'm not eating for a couple of days or something like that, then I'll go through phases where I am eating like a whole lot. Like mm-hmm. there's just so many different weird things to notice in people or if I get... I get fidgety. Okay. I get very fidgety, so people will notice if I start fidgeting and moving, and if I'm not giving you eye contact, like today I'm actually doing fairly good You're with doing the eye contact. Great. I know. Yeah. yeah. But then if I, you can tell if I'm in my head if I'm not. Okay. You're giving me all sorts of things to yeah, watch yeah, for yeah, when yeah. I see you come <laughs> in my office now and see how you're Now doing. I'm going to be like super paranoid and just always <laughs> no, be looking good, at No, it's good because now I'll, I'll know, right? And I'll yeah, people used to always take the, like, the eye contact thing is a hard one for people with any mental illness. Like we don't mm-hmm. like, I don't know anybody with any form of mental illness that actually likes eye contact because mm-hmm. it's it's really hard yeah because they can don't see like into everything <laughs> when you look into it's true when yeah. they say that you can look into someone's soul when you look yeah. into their eyes it's true because you can yeah. see the sadness you can see the happiness yeah and i'm like so when we're wearing our mask that's all you see is that's our eyeballs. All you see. so you're yeah so everything is right there yeah super concentrated yeah okay and um, <laughs> now she's like, hmm, I can't no, 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 anymore. No, no, no. I'm just thinking if I had any other questions kind of along that front, because I think kind of your experience and kind of where you find yourself now and everything that you've managed to work through for yourself with your, you know, your own supporting team, however you would want to define that at this point. Um, and if memory serves, you're not on medication no. now because yeah. it's not a good thing for you. No, I have an issue. I was, I, yeah. I was telling somebody again yesterday, I was just like, cause we were talking about medication and drinking and all that stuff. And I'm like, I can't even take cold and flu medicine because you know how it gives you like that foggy feeling and mm-hmm. makes you want to go to sleep. I can't no. like that actually terrifies the crap out of me. That right. feeling makes me like, it's like a trigger for me. Yeah. Cause I, in, in some of the very quick research I had done it, in the way that there are all sorts of drugs that treat specifically depression yep. or anxiety, et cetera. There isn't a class of no, drugs there's none for BPD. for BPD. Yeah. Right? BPD is a weird, and that's like, and I hope that, you know, there's more on that one because that's the thing. Like I've, and I know a few people that have it and they're misdiagnosed right now. And yeah. so they're on like the completely the wrong meds. And if you're on the wrong meds, then you're not treating. Right. And so you're just messing that person up because generally if you're giving that person medication for the, that one thing and they right. don't have it, they're not going to do good. Right. So, and yeah, there is nothing. And that's the problem with BPD. And that's 
what sucks about reading some of these posts on people because they basically treat it like it's a death wish. And that's a horrible thought. Sure. But it's like, you're not going to get better is what they say. Hmm. There's no real medication for it. There's no real therapies for it. I mean, we do DBT, CBT, all that stuff, which helps to an extent. But it's like it's the it's really up to the person to do the work. Right. Like you have to have a really good support system or it's just it's going to be brutally hard. Right. So that's where one thing. Yeah, I had to learn to be very self-aware with it and have to build a good team. I had to be blatantly honest with people. And it probably drives people nuts because it's like. Another thing that I read about it, too, is, like, everybody seems that we're attention-seeking because we do talk about it a lot. And Mm. I've noticed it with other people with BPD. They do talk about it a lot because we have to. That's what makes us cope through things. Because, again, a lot of us can't take medication. Right. And when when the biggest symptoms are thinking that, you know, people are talking about you are judging or you get that paranoia by putting out your own story... Yeah. You're getting to it first, right? You're able to kind of say, this is what it is, this as opposed is what to it someone is. else coming up And with. if you have questions, just ask me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. sometimes don't like answering them, but I, you know what I mean? Like, if it helps, then I'll answer it. Yeah. But yeah, like, yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's such a hard illness, though, for sure. Mm-hmm. And one that's, that's, that's challenging to diagnose properly, because as you said, there are so many things that kind of commingle in the space and... And to really get a good outlook for it. Do you find that you have, um, now that you've kind of gone in, in the Instagram and kind of found other people, is that helpful to you because you recognize yourself in some of this? It's or a is little it, bit. Is it oh a my God. It's, a, it's a, like too much, too much. Yeah. You see my face? It's a little <laughs> bit of both. It's a little She's bit doing both. the home alone face right now. I'm doing the home right alone now, face right, right now. Because <laughs> yeah. it is, it's a little, it's hard though. Yeah. It's hard to read things. And then again, it's the whole, the kind of the Oprah aha moment, but it's mm-hmm. like you read it and you're like, that is so correct. And a lot of them are the ones that are like, not the typical ones. They're like the shameful ones. Like this is mm. what's going on in my head and this is what I feel like. And it's like, oh yeah, I do. And oh, I do. Yeah. So you get that moment of, okay, I'm not the only one who's dealing with this but and then someone else understands me, but then it almost ramps it up at the same then it point. It ramps it up and goes, okay, and then you think about it. Yeah. Oh. And that's the I'm thing. an overthinker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can, at least in that little piece... I love Michael that he to told nod. he did he nodded he nodded. <laughs> I am an overthinker like nobody's. Yes, Michael is here with us helping do all the production stuff. So. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to explain the overthinking but. the other day on how bad that is for me because I'm like I overthink to the point where like I and I, I don't know if I've done it to you but I'm like if I send a text message and I'm just like hmm did I say the right thing and then I'll text message again, clarifying it with this really long text message <laughs> and then I text message again clarifying that one I don't know how many people I drive nuts with my overthinking like that's how bad it can like that's what I'm saying like a thousand percent I don't know what normal overthinking is like I don't know if you do that (laughs) well I overthink but I don't think I overthink to that yeah that's what I'm so and I already know the impact my overthinking has on me and everyone around me but that's what I'm saying so this is what trying to explain to people what the a thousand percent is right compared to yeah and emotions like in in every way shape or form are difficult to regulate for everyone and then you add COVID and then you add social media and then you add just, you know, having to exist in a world. So, I mean, I applaud you wholeheartedly for the the way that you navigate life. Um, I mean, I think it's and again, I only see the, the pieces of it that you share, which is obviously the way we all navigate yeah, the world yeah. right, in terms of what we share. But um, I just wanted to say as someone who is, you know, been in the mental health space for just over a year now, it's. It's, it's getting to meet with and work with and become friendly with you that really has helped me get a better understanding for, um, I don't want to say the struggle because I don't want to kind of turn everything know, into yeah. metaphors like that, but, but the, your honesty and your resilience and your capacity to 
um, kind of put everything you have probably quite literally for well, you. And that's into the, everything yeah. That you do. And that's yeah. it too is so doing in doing all of this with you and, and you know, my work facility and everything it's, it is draining. And I find that and that's another thing I tried to explain too. Cause like I've been very run down lately and sure. it's because I'm pushing myself to do these things out of the bubble and out of the comfort zone to hopefully, hopefully the whole point of all of this is to show people just like me, yeah. they can get through it and work through it and they can be someone and be someone that people want to hang out with. And yeah. they're not as bad as people think they think they are. Yeah. Cause it's all that chatter in the head. Mm-hmm. Stupid chatter. So tough. Stupid it is. Chatter. It is a stupid chatter. Yep. Fun. Any last words of wisdom that you'd want to share with anyone? Just if, I just, I, people need to talk more and mm. not be, you have to get past that hump of fear of being judged and just open up because once you get past that bump, mm-hmm. everything slowly, it doesn't happen overnight, gets better. Amazing. My husband's having totally get it. Um, well, thank you. Uh, thank you for being so open and honest and really sharing everything that you go through. I think that, um, if people are listening to this, a though, my hope is that they'll have a better understanding of what borderline personality disorder even is. I'm, I would be, um, shocked if every single person listening had actually even heard that this was a, a diagnosis, yeah. right? Because I don't know that there's enough conversation around it at all. Um, but also just for, you know, for being raw and for sharing your story, not only here, but with so much that you're doing at work, the little teaser that will be more with <laughs> Rachel that, um, that I'll be kind of sharing in the coming weeks. Uh, she's graciously agreed to share her story with a campaign that we'll be doing at work. So I'll be sure to share that when that goes live. But um, I think you're... Uh, a hella impressive human being on multiple levels. We've kind of started hitting it off right from the very get go. And, uh, it's always a pleasure to kind of see you when you pop in the office, especially if you bring cookies, (laughs) this is not a hard way to my heart in the first place, but, um, I just really wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for, for having the conversation today and every day. And, um, if you're okay with it, I'd like to include your Instagram handle yeah, so sure. people, if they want to learn more or yeah, if you have any questions, just contact me D- yeah. DM, DM me, slide as, as into my DMs as the kids would say, <laughs> maybe not. I think that's, no, don't do that. that's, gross, isn't it? that's gross, right? I don't know. I've been married for almost 15 years. I don't even know what that means. Anymore. I feel like too old to be saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? So send me, send Rachel a message. Yeah, there you go. Um, if you have questions. And um, there are lots of kind of local resources if you're looking for some of the symptoms of what uh, borderline personality disorder is. Um, you can always go to ontarioshores.ca. Might as well flog yeah, our own yeah. place, right? Because there's some, there's some great, great resources there. there. Yeah, for sure. That you can look. And if this sounds familiar to you or if it sounds you're like, hang on a minute, you know, I see this a lot in my partner or in, cause it's not something that's often diagnosed in early childhood, right? So it's not something no. that you would see in your kids per se. No. I think it generally comes out more in adulthood, but yep. if you have a sibling or someone along that line, then this is starting to sound awfully familiar to you. Um, encourage you to reach out directly to Rachel or to me or to explore some of the resources that are online um, and learn more and see if there may be some further steps as Rachel suggested, yeah. like chatting with a social worker or, your GP, if you have one who is amenable to having mental health conversations, which is a whole other story. But um, my hope in in having this conversation today was just to kind of bring some light to borderline personality disorder, to share your amazing story, and just to celebrate 
um, what you've been through. As weird as that sounds, yeah, like not that you want to celebrate it, but I think when... Accomplishments that I've made through it all. Well, and when you talk about shame, I think it's really important to acknowledge the flip side of shame is, yeah. is that sense of accomplishment for where you've where you've managed to get to and um, what you've managed to do. And hopefully you'll help help people not only shed some light on, on BPD, but to get some more understanding for other people who, who deal with it and, and maybe build up empathy for what they're going through. Yep. So thank you so much. Always good to see you. Thank you for having me. And um, I guess we'll be both out running tomorrow. In the we will. Yes, we will. Women. We'll get our 5K. You're doing 5K? Yep. Excellent. So we'll have our own kind of mental health breaks that way. Get our fitness in. <laughs> yep. And then uh, maybe we'll share a cookie after. <laughs> <laughs> we will have earned it after We will. 5K. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I'll buy you a cookie. There you go. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Theories of Evolution. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Check out the show notes for resources that may be of interest, and I'd love it if you could drop a review on your podcatcher of choice. There's always more to say and so much more evolving to do, so if you have ideas for future episodes or would like to join me to share your own theories, reach out. Email me at evolutionpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on the socials, evolutionpodcast on Insta, at Evolution Pod on Twitter or Theories of Evolution on Facebook. And don't forget that's Shan, S-H-A-N, because I simply find it impossible to resist a good play on words. That's all for now. May we both be a few steps further ahead next time we connect. From today to tomorrow, never stop evolving.